Welcome to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Baran, a ministry of Worship Generation Church in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, please visit us at www.worshipgeneration.com. Now let's join Pastor Joey as we study through the Bible. And repentance starts with acknowledging the wrong and confessing it before the Lord. Because as that happens, we're set up for good things. He would go on to say in Psalm 51, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit in me. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. So when we get that confession, it really is to our own self-interest because in the end, God cleanses us and he restores to us things that were lost. When we simply agree with the Lord that we have fallen. You know, everyone falls, but a righteous man will get up seven times, we're told in Proverbs. Remember what the Lord spoke to me when I finally surrendered to go into ministry in November of 1987. Failure is inevitable. Growth is optional. So you're going to fail. The only question is, are you going to learn from failure and grow and go forward? And that's why I'm really glad I'm still alive at 62 because I got a lot of growing and a lot of going to get to before I step into eternity if the time has permitted me. And so do you. 1 John 1, 9, in, as the Apostle John was near the end of his life, he wrote that important phrase, if we, say that we, if we say that we don't sin, we lie and the truth is not in us. So we do have that sinful nature and we don't set out to do wrong, but it happens. We fall. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us. See, we need the cleansing to go forward. Like a a wound, like a physical wound, you have to cleanse a physical wound for it to heal properly. So we need to confess it, and then we need to be cleansed from it so we can go forward. So confession is critical. And I don't know in your life where you're at with the Lord, but if there are things that he's pressing on your heart that you, he's saying, just confess this so we can go forward. It's going to be good for you, and it's going to be good for the people you love and care about and who care about you. So as we think about fallen but not forsaken, we see how critical it is for confession, as we see in David in verses 7 and 8. And just, oh, it's hard to say I've done foolishly, but I have and you have and we all do. So praise the Lord that we have a great Savior to deliver us from our folly. Now we read on in verse 9. Then the Lord spoke to Gad, the prophet David's seer, saying, Go and tell David, saying, Thus says the Lord, I offer you three things. Choose one of them for yourself, that I may do it for you. So Gad came to David and said to him, Thus says the Lord, choose for yourself either three years of famine or three months to be defeated by your foes with the sword of your enemies overtaking you, or else three days of the sword of the Lord, the plague in the land, with the angel of the Lord destroying throughout all the territory of Israel. Now consider what answer I should take back to him who sent me. David said to Gad, I'm in great distress. Please let me fall into the hand of the Lord, for his mercies are very great, but do not let me fall into the hand of men. So the Lord sent a plague upon Israel, and 70,000 men of Israel fell. And God sent an angel to Jerusalem to destroy it, and he was destroying. The Lord looked and relented of the disaster and said to the angel, It is enough. Now restrain your hand. And the angel of the Lord stood by the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. 
Then David lifted his eyes and saw the angel of the Lord standing between earth and heaven, having in his hand a drawn sword stretched out over Jerusalem. So David and the elders, clothed in sackcloth, fell on their faces. And David said to God, Was it not I who commanded the people to be numbered? I am the one who has sinned and done evil indeed. But these sheep, what have they done? Let, let your hand, I pray, O Lord, my God, be against me and my father's house, but not against your people, that they should be plagued. What an incredible prayer from David. Man, what a scene here. It's like the superhero movies I talked about on Tuesday night where, you know, you have these aliens, you know, in the last 20 years, all kids all grew up with those, like, you know, Avengers and all that stuff where the aliens come through a portal and they're like, and they're huge aliens and they're super powerful. Listen, that's, that's the fantasy of men's minds. This is a real angel of the Lord. This chapter is very spiritual. We've got Satan, the tempter, and now we've got the angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord with the sword stretched out over Jerusalem. And by the way, when Jesus comes back, yeah, he's described as coming as King of Kings and Lord of Lords and with a sword, and he's coming to Jerusalem. That's something to think about right there. Ah, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city, the center of the universe is Jerusalem. David, who is so close with the Lord, who had survived so many things, is in sackcloth and ashes, and they're looking at this angel. Now, we don't, they're seeing it over the entire, I've been to Jerusalem. I've been to Jerusalem. And I've walked from the Mount of Olives through the Garden of Gethsemane over to, uh, around the city, inside where the east gates closed, where the, you know, the church closed that about four centuries ago to keep the Messiah from coming from the east. And I've been all there, the western wall, the Dome of the Rock, I took a bus to East Jerusalem where Golgotha is, the place of the skull, where, where Jesus is. Our tour went there. You can walk to all these places. They're all walkable. I mean, you can walk eight miles in Jerusalem and you see all of this stuff in one day, for sure. The temple and all that stuff. It's a valley, the Kidron Valley. And I just picture this angel, like, wow, like angel with the sword over it. Like, and it's really happening. Like, eternity's opened up and that dimension's open. And David, the great king who's conquered everybody, He's on his face. He's terrified, sackcloth and ashes, and all the elders with him. 70,000 men in three days. But if you look at the last 50 years, there's been a number of disasters in human history that have killed way more than 70,000 in one day. How about the tsunami in 2006? I mean, hundreds of thousands of people died in one day, and like Thailand and all these other places like that. It was crazy. China... There was an earthquake in China around 20 years ago that killed like 250,000 people in one day. These things happen. Can you imagine the the calibration of grief going forward from this? From this. But equally so, just the terror of this event actually happening. And it's supernatural. It's not aliens like Independence Day or something with Will Smith. I mean, this is real, right? This isn't a joke. That's all just people like, well, let's go to a movie and scare people, you know, like or entertain their brains for two hours in a theater, right? This is real. And David is given three choices. Now, the choice he took made him vulnerable. See, if you're the king and you've got all the money and the wealth, you can protect yourself. See, all the really, really rich people on planet Earth don't worry about all that's going on because they have so much wealth, they're buffeted from it. Apart from sickness, which, you know... <laughs> That's a big one. But economic hardship doesn't really affect the people that are pushing buttons on planet Earth. They affect everyday people, but not them. That's like David. He can withstand a famine because he's got all the wealth. But he loves the people. He can withstand defeat at the hands of his enemies for three months, and he could handle that as well. 
It'd be embarrassing and humiliating, but you know, like, it'll run its course, and when it's said and done, he's still the king, he's got all the wealth, he conquered everybody else, you know, you win some, you lose some. But when he said, I'll take three days at the mercy of the Lord, of course, that's the wisest decision, one I think we would all choose. I'll take three days with with the angel of the Lord over those other options for sure. But in doing so, he made himself vulnerable to equal judgment upon himself and his house. See, when he made himself vulnerable to the plague of the angel, he made himself equal with all the common people. So what could have, it's just, it's a lottery. It's like the draft back in the 60s. You know, it's like, hey, your number comes up, it comes up. Hey, 70,000 are going down in three days. And you're in the hands of the Lord. There's no protecting yourself. There's no protection from this one with wealth or physical strength. David didn't have any of it. So we do see his heart for the Lord and for God's people, even though he said, these are your people. Like, in fact, how many people in the Middle Eastern culture would say, put judgment and curses on my family instead of God's people? That's quite unusual and profound, wouldn't you agree? Like, most of us in our 60s are trying to figure out how to set our families up for a good future spiritually and physically and financially with the Lord. Wouldn't you agree? So why would we stop our progress in the Lord to say, Lord, just judge me for my folly. I'm like, when I've seen, when I've made mistakes and prayed God for mercy on my life, I'm praying, please let it be on me, not on my kids. David's amazing. This is the chastening of the Lord upon everybody. David's sin didn't affect him. It affected everybody. And in the book of Hebrews, we get some good insight of uh, chastening. So I'm going to read to you from Hebrews right here. In Hebrews chapter 12, it says this about chastening. Because really, we have confession, but we also have chastening. Or we might even say correction. Because really, correction is a softer landing and 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 a better word. Because whom the Lord loves, he chastens for correction. See, when you chasten your children, you want to see correction. Right? You're trying to... You're trying to steer their behavior. When your parents corrected you, it was for improved behavior for a better end result. So we could say it's chastening. We could say it's consequences of sin, but really it's correction. God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked, so he's trying to correct us, and he wants to correct David, and there's consequence. That's the real bummer with sin. There's consequences. There's consequences with relationships. There's consequences with business opportunities. There's consequences with finances and assets and all these things. There's even consequences with health. There can be many consequences for sin that are chastening. But, you know, when you belong to the Lord, those things will work together for good to do a good work in our life if we let it. Now, in Hebrews, it says this. And have you forgotten the exhortation which speaks to his sons, Hebrews 12, 5. My son, and he's quoting Proverbs chapter 3. My son, do not despise the chasing of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you're rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens, and he scourges every son whom he receives. And we'll say daughters too. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as sons or children. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you were without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. In other words, if the Lord doesn't discipline you, you're not the Lord's when you have fallen. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of Spirits and live? 
For our earthly fathers, they did it indeed for a few days, chasing us, it seems best to them. But he, God, for our prophet, that we may be partakers of his holiness. See, that's the end game. 70,000 struck down or chasing in your personal life. The end game of chasing is that we may become partakers of his holiness. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So chasing from the Lord in our life is to train us. It's, it's to produce good fruit. It's, it's, it's to our own benefit, just like when you correct your children. We raise four children. And we, each kid's so different in their personalities. And, and they all needed corrective chastening for their behavior at different times as little sons of Adam and daughters of Eve. And, you know, sentences work for Luke. It made him focus. He just make him write 100 sentences. He's like, reel it in, Luke. Reel it in. Because he's like this. Timmy, you know, spankings. That didn't seem to do much. That seemed to. He didn't like the treadmill at all. <laughs> Once I figured out Timmy didn't like the treadmill. When he was like a young adult, I'm like, oh, we got something here. You hear him banging on the treadmill like, hey, one mile, 15 minutes. Now let's talk about it. Hannah was different, Leah was different, sentences, treadmill. Like, you know, you try and figure out, the, and the Lord knows what he needs to do to you and me to correct us from inappropriate behavior, to train us from it so we won't do it again. See, here's the thing about my ticket not long ago. The only thing worse than having to tell Jennifer I got a ticket would be to repeat the same thing. See, if I'm the same the, the person that got the ticket and how I got the ticket, if I'm that same person today, then I'll be that person tomorrow. But if I learn the lesson of the chastening, traffic school, cost, time, energy, I'm like, you know, only an idiot gets his ticket and gets it again. So I have to have a benefit from this. I have to be better from this, and the cause of this ticket can never happen again while I'm driving from here to eternity. It's that simple. Because if I ever got a ticket for something like this again, then I'm just... You know, I'm just a donkey driving a car. It's just such folly, right? And of course you agree with me, but we do stuff like that with not driving cars, but with other things. Because the Bible tells us a dog returns to a vomit, so a fool do his folly. Yeah, we, we are chasing for corrective behavior to our own benefit, that we can be trained by it and be the better for it, the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. What a wonderful text that is from Hebrews. So David was chastened. The people were chastened. It affected a lot of people. But it's to train us. It's proof that we belong to the Lord. It's to train us and whatnot. And as I said, I don't remember which kid it was. For some reason, I think it was Leah who hardly ever got disciplined. Um, they said, one of my kids said, well, who, 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 who spanks daddy? I'm like, God does. Well, how does that work? I'm like, oh, you know when it's happening. Wait till you're an adult. When you're an adult, you'll know when God's like, you know, you'll know. Oh, you'll know. If you serve the Lord, you'll know when he's spanking you. And you just take it like a man of God and don't get the same ticket. Just, you got you to gotta be better from it. So you have to change today driving so I'm not that. See, because if I do this, I'll just get the same thing tomorrow if I don't change today. So I got to change today so I don't get that tomorrow. And that's a benefit. Those who are trained by it through chasing and discipline. Verse 18, so we've seen confession and correction, which comes through chastening from the consequences. And now our third point is the cross. 
So we pick it up in verse 18, where we read this. Therefore, the angel of the Lord commanded Gad to say to David that David should go and erect an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Ornan, the Jebusite. So David went up at the word of, the, word of Gad, which he had spoken in the name of the Lord. Now Ornan turned and saw the angel, and his four sons who were with him hid themselves. But Ornan continued threshing wheat. So David came to Ornan, and Ornan looked and saw David. And he went out from the threshing floor and bowed before David with his face to the ground. Then David said to Ornan, hey, grant me the place of this threshing floor that I may build an altar to the Lord. He shall, you shall grant it to me at the full price that the plague may be withdrawn from the people. But Ornan said to David, take it, take it to yourself and let my lord the king do what is good in his eyes. Look, I also give you the, uh, the oxen for the burnt offering and the threshing implements for wood and the wheat for the grain offering. I, I give it all. And David said to Ornan, no, no. But I will surely buy it for the full price, for I will not take that which is yours for the Lord, nor will I offer burnt offerings which have cost me nothing. So David gave Ornan 600 shekels of gold by weight for the place. It's a lot of money. And David built her an altar to the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings and called on the Lord. And he that is Lord answered from heaven by fire on the altar burnt offering. Man, this is like Elijah, like a couple hundred years later. Like the fire came down. And so, verse 27, the Lord commanded the angel, and he returned his sword to his sheath. At that time, when David saw that the Lord had answered him on the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite, he sacrificed there. For the tabernacle of the Lord and the altar of burnt offering, which Moses had made in the wilderness, they were at that time in the high place in Gibeon. They weren't in Jerusalem. The ark was in Jerusalem, but they were in Gibeon. But David could not go before to inquire of God, for he was afraid of the sword of the angel of the Lord. And we might say rightfully so. That sword of the angel of the Lord would have been a terrifying sight to see. But when the king shows up, now that's his world. See, Ornan knows the king, and he falls down, and he pays homage to the king. It's just kind of funny. I guess you never know what you're going to get on that day of the Lord, right? See, Ornan knows the king, and he falls down, and he pays homage to the king. It's just kind of funny. I guess you never know what you're going to get on that day of the Lord, right? In a crisis moment, you just never know. You know, first responders would know you get variation, war, you get variations. But well, Ornan's just like, <laughs> I just love it. He just, he's just, he's just, he's doing, he, it's a compound effect. He's doing what he's doing every day, and he's not going to change. Even if the angel of the Lord's got a sword drawn over Jerusalem, it's my time, it's my time. The boys are terrified. He sees David, dude, you're the king. Wow, I'll give it all to you. David's like, no. It's between me and the Lord. i got to buy it. You know, it's no cheap grace in this kingdom, in this universe. It's free grace, but it's not cheap grace. So he buys it. And he makes the altar. And the fire comes down from heaven. The fire comes down from heaven, and God accepts his offering. Then in the next chapter, I didn't read it, but David says, this is the house of the Lord, and this is the altar of the Lord. And that's exactly what it was. This is where Solomon built the temple. This altar David built became the altar for the animal sacrifices for hundreds of years. So even in the chastening, God was moving towards something so much bigger than David's failure in this pride with his census. And here's an amazing thought. This is the exact same piece of planet Earth that Abraham, a thousand years before, came with his son Isaac, being tested by the Lord. A thousand years, that's a long time. A thousand years before this, Abraham was testing his faith. He brought Isaac, the son of promise, there. He pulled out his knife at the same spot. And the Lord said, put it away. Now I know you've not withheld your son, your only son. I prepared an offering for myself. There's the ram in the thicket. Abraham's knife was drawn, the father for the son. God says, I've got this covered. Gave him the ram. The ram's a substitute. Substitution. 
right? Then, now, here a thousand years later, the angel of the Lord has a sword out over the same area. And David prepares an altar, and God brings the fire down. So David has the bull, so we go from a ram to the oxen, and God brings the fire down to accept this offering. And David says, this is the house of the Lord. But there's more, because this is Calvary and Golgotha. This is, this is within a mile, if not the actual literal place on planet Earth, where Jesus Christ came a thousand years after David. And it wasn't the knife of Abraham. It wasn't the sword of the angel. It was the nails. It was the nails that put him on the cross. And it wasn't a ram or a bull or an oxen. It was Christ, the Son of God. It was God giving us his son at the same place a thousand years later. And that fire is acceptable for all of us for all eternity. There's no more Abraham, Isaac. There is no more David, the angel of the Lord, and the altar with the oxen. There is just us and Jesus and the day of the Lord. That's all there is. The cross has come. Christ has come. And I preached on the cross on that holy week when I did Romans Road on Tuesday night. But I'm going to go back to the cross tonight, to Romans chapter 5, and we'll wrap it up here tonight. Romans chapter 5 says this about the cross in Jesus. Because we've had confession... We've had sin and failure. We're fallen but not forsaken. We've had confession. We have correction through chasing and consequences. But in this final point, we have the cross. Because David at that altar with the fire is a type of Jesus because that's where Jesus came to finish the job. Going back to Genesis 3.15 and the promise for redemption, Jesus came to this spot and closed the deal and finished the job. Romans 5 says it quite well in verse 6. For when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received the reconciliation. What David sang about in Psalm 51, a thousand years before, we get every time someone gives their life to Christ, they receive the fullness of it. Those are all shadows, Abraham, Isaac, the angel of the Lord, David, the altar, the fire. It was all moving and giving us illustrations and understanding and upgrades, constant upgrades. The upgrade from the ram in the thicket to the upgrade to the oxen to the upgrade of the sun. And there are no more upgrades. Christ died once for all. There are no more offerings. It is, he is our sufficiency. And so our, we are fallen but not forsaken because we have that restoration through faith in Jesus. We can find that forgiveness through faith in Jesus, personally, uh, any non-believer on planet Earth can come to Christ and be, they can acknowledge their sinful nature. They can find, they can confess that sin and be right with God. They can receive Christ and find that forgiveness and they can go forward and the healing begins. And for the body of Christ, we, we have a fuller understanding because we're his children and he does chasten us for our, our, when we fall and our folly of our flesh and our eyes and our pride. But he forgives us and he wants to restore us. He doesn't want us to be left there in, defeated, in a defeated place because Christ is victory. 
and it's a victorious place, and he wants to bring us to the cross. He wants us to come to the cross for confession, to receive our chastening like a woman of God and a man of God, and grow and learn and be the better for it, and to find that healing and full reconciliation and restoration at the cross. For there's no joy like the joy of being forgiven and cleansed through faith in Jesus Christ. Man, his mercies are new every morning. It's a new day with Jesus every day. We can, just, we can put it behind us, the failures of the past. So far as East is from the West, so far has removed our transgressions from us. Isn't that beautiful? Body of Christ, worship generation, if you have things you need to confess with the Lord, I exhort you and I encourage you to do so to your own benefit. Accept the correction, accept the chastening, and accept the healing and get on and go forward. And don't blame Blue. Don't blame the dog. Don't blame the president. Don't blame anybody or anything. It's not about any of that. It's about the person you see in the mirror being transformed from glory to glory. Yes and amen. You've been listening to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Baran. If you would like more information about the ministry of Worship Generation, visit us online at www.worshipgeneration.com. Com, where you can listen to the podcast of today's entire message. You can also find us on Instagram, Facebook, and our church YouTube channel. Worship Generation is located at 10350 Ellis Avenue in Fountain Valley, California. Our service times are Saturday evenings at 6 p.m. and Tuesdays at 7 p.m. For more information about Pastor Joey personally, you can follow him on his Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube channel. Thanks for listening, and God bless. God bless.